The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Dr. Doreen grand is the... Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism. Doreen grand Dr. grand Dr. Doreen grand Dr. Doreen grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. If you're watching us right now, I want to let you know uh, that we have had to pre-record this show because Dr. Grampichet had a conflict someplace where she had to be, but we didn't want to miss out on this opportunity. So this is previously recorded, but I, I, Shannon Penrod, am watching you guys watch the live premiere of this. So please feel free to write in questions and I will be answering and referring questions. And, and if it's something that you need for Dr. Uh, Grampichet to answer, I'll be storing them for next week. So it's, it, uh, but, but She's already, we've got a list of questions that we didn't answer last week and questions that you guys have sent in. So it's going to be great. Hi, Dr. Grampichet. How are you? Good morning, Shannon. How are you? I'm, I'm really good and I'm excited to be here. I want you guys to know that this show is premiering live right now on uh, YouTube, on Twitter and on Facebook. And it, it will, will be available later on today as a podcast, wherever you get your podcasts, a free download. And we thank you for all of your viewership and for watching and podcasts and reviewing because you guys have made for one autism podcast for the second year running appreciative of that and love what you guys are doing to get the word out to other people so that they can come here and hear from a wonderful expert like Dr. Grampichet. As you know, if you watch the show, Dr. Grampichet has been working in this field for more than 40 years. She really is a true expert in the field of autism. And more than that, she is a compassionate ally to the autism community, fighting for the rights of individuals on the spectrum, for them to be treated as the individuals that they are, to get medical intervention that is appropriate, um, and to not overlook things and to excuse it and say, oh, well, that's just autism when it's a medical issue. Also helping to give really intentional, empathetic behavioral intervention to help people to be able to learn the skills that they want to and overcome challenges that they have. But of course, we're not talking, you know, I think people get itchy and go, you're talking about changing people. No, this is just about teaching people things that are important to them, not forcing ideology onto people. So uh, love that Dr. Grampichet is here with us and that she is donating this time, this hour to answer your questions. Did I forget it? But we do have to say that there is no expert in this field or any field who can give individual specific advice. So please be writing your questions in a general nature and Dr. Grampichet will answer them to the best of her ability. Would you like to say anything, Dr. Grampichet? <laughs> you can take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, thank you so much, Shannon, for that introduction. And it's always a pleasure to uh, receive your questions and do my best to answer them. Um, we have had a lot of questions coming in recently, so I'm kind of happy that we have this opportunity to record because we never get to all the questions anymore. And if we're not able to answer your questions here, please uh, do go on TikTok. I have a, uh, my, my name there is at Ask Dr. Doreen. And I do uh, answer questions there. I will either respond to your questions in the, the messages or I will just record an answer to your question if I, when I think that others would be asking the same questions. So please do hit me up there as well. I'm happy to answer your questions. Wonderful. I'm going to jump right in here because I promised last week that we would start with two questions that came in right at the end of the hour. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting that done right here. I'm living up to that promise. The teaching lady wrote in and said, I have a three-year-old. He has bad gut health, has to make has to make food changes and move towards veggies, which he hates. How can I introduce veggies without a smoothie option? He has a major yeast belly. Any suggestions? Oh, yes. Yeah. I, <laughs> yeah. Um, I just want to say that I don't know, you know, it's very, very, very hard to repopulate the gut 
with the appropriate bacteria. So when we have yeast issues, often they accompany um, the destruction of all healthy bacteria, which could have happened in a number of different ways. So, uh, you know, when children are young, they often get ill and they're given antibiotics and those antibiotics will destroy uh, bad bacteria, obviously, but also good bacteria. And unfortunately, the, you, you know, when we're not exposed anymore to foods or, or soil that can provide us the good bacteria. So a lot of times we now have to turn to the use of probiotics and prebiotics. Probiotics are actually uh, small amounts of the good bacteria. Um, and prebiotics are things that will, foods, for instance, that will help us produce more of the good bacteria. The problem is that it is, a friend of mine who's a very well-known chemist in this field said one time, you know, using probiotics and prebiotics, it's honestly similar to trying to fill a beach with handfuls of sand. And so it takes a very, very long time and the environment of the gut does, isn't necessarily one that promotes the growth of the healthy bacteria. So it can, it's a very difficult process. Let's just put it that way. So um, my suggestion is where possible, you get the help of a, a doctor. Usually there are a lot of kind of Eastern medicine or naturopaths or um, homeopaths who can help you with this process. Um, and they will put you on very specific diets as well as a number of different medications that will repopulate your gut. Um, that's one thing. The other thing is you can also get the help of a really good dietitian or nutritionist who will help you with the foods that your child is consuming. Because that whole process of yeast and bloating uh, could be, is not just about putting healthy bacteria back in. It is also about reducing or eliminating foods that will increase yeast or that will increase bloating. So there's a lot of different things you have to do. Um, I would say that it, just to kind of give you some, some you know, quick answers, uh, foods that are high in sugar or, or grains uh, will tend to increase, uh, you know, gluten, for instance, will tend to increase yeast pretty fast. So you definitely, dietitians will want to put you on those types of diets that eliminate sugar and grains and many other foods as well that could potentially be growing yeast. Um, there are medications that for treating yeast when you have too much yeast. These can start as basic as nystatin, which is you can give that to a baby um, or you, you can expand and your physician might put you on things that are a little bit stronger like diflucan or nizerol. There are other anti-yeast medica, antifungal medications that will help. Um, as far as the bloating goes, again, there will be, uh, they will do a lot of testing first, both urine and blood tests to identify what exactly is going on. I mean, your child could also have overgrowth of bad bacteria. So we need to kind of find out what is going on there before you try to intervene yourself, right? So in terms of a really strong probiotic that I use sometimes and I really like, um, it is called VSL3. That's kind of my favorite probiotic. But again, I don't really, I, I don't suggest that you try to go at this to, on your own. It is important to have expertise. And uh, Shannon, maybe Trayvon can help us put up kind of the MedMaps uh, information, because obviously all of these folks, these doctors who are trained with MedMaps, they're very familiar with these protocols. Absolutely. So correct me if I'm wrong, Trayvon, I think that it's medmaps.org, yes, uh, which is the place that you can go to. And, and what that is, is a site that will tell you 
doctors that have attended conferences that are for MedMaps. You're going to need to drill down a little bit more on your own. You don't want to just assume that everybody is created equal there because each one of those doctors has a speciality. So, you know, they might be somebody who is a homeopathic doctor. Someone might be a pediatrician. There's at least one that I'm aware of that's a really good one. That's a, His, his um, specialty is sports medicine, but he happens to be a dad of a kid on the autism spectrum. So he has a side practice where he also does this on the side and his wife um, helps him to do that because they got very good at this. Um, there, are, there are some that are neurologists. There are some that are allergists. They're, they're all different and they're in all different places all over the country. And some of them, I don't really know the designations, Dr. Grampuche. Some of them have been to more conferences, have certified, have done papers. Some of them have not. Some of them have only been to one conference. So you really kind of have to do a little bit of your homework. Um, there are some that we're aware of that, that we particularly like. I think both of us really like Dr. David Berger in Florida, who I just think is the be all end all. Uh, and, um, but there are, there are many that we've had different contact with and, and a lot of these people are, are really, really truthfully up on the latest research and at the, at the, they're doing the latest research that they know mm -hmm. things that, uh, we wish that everybody knew. So, um, great to have contact with one of those doctors and to have them be looking at things because you're going to find, I certainly found early on, I had a great pediatrician who was very open to conversation, but said to me, I don't know enough about this and I'm going to be watching what you do. And, and I said, can I bring you things and have you look at it and tell me your point of view on them? And, and we started a, a relationship that that went on for 15 years uh my son's pedi i was i was so sorry to see him go when my son my son's 18 years old he doesn't go to a pediatrician anymore but we learned a lot from each other and he was willing to partner with a doctor that was a, a med map doctor so that when we were doing any kind of an intervention that he was on board with it i think that that's the rare circumstance though i got to be honest i think a lot of pediatricians you know they either think they know it all or they're, and they're not interested in knowing anything else or they say, I don't know anything and I'm not interested in learning anything else. So, but but that was ideal, having a MedMap doctor and having a pediatrician and, and looking at things. But I think, you know, a lot of times when people find out about, obviously this parent already knows a fair amount because they said they use the expression yeast belly. So that tells me that they know a thing or three, right? Um, and, and I think what's important for all of us to remember is that you're never going to get rid of all the yeast, nor would you want to, that it's all about balancing it for the rest of your life and finding the right mix and getting uh, to the right place. It's, it, it can be tough, but it's a worthwhile battle. Well, you will feel better if you oh, start yeah. working on this. Oh my gosh. Yes. And get the whole family involved. I mean, um, you know, everybody starts eating a little bit better. Everybody starts feeling better. And you find the right level of of sleep and water and good veggies and um, and having things that are organic and and it's life changing. It really is. That's right. Okay. Shall we move on to I am one? Um, because I promised that I would answer their question as well. Yeah. I am one says I have a job interview coming up soon. How do I mask so that I seem normal so people can't tell something is off with me, please? And I, and I have to say right out the gate, I always, whenever somebody talks about masking, I, and I, and I want to acknowledge that um, it's a difficult term for a lot of people. I also want to acknowledge, I, I certainly participate in masking. I'm someone who's neurotypical, but I mask sometimes. I would love to tell people that I am 100% myself whenever I walk out the door or talk to anybody that is, and I'm moving towards that. I, I want to be more authentically myself wherever I am and be okay with the fact that sometimes people are not okay with that. Um, but it's hard. It's really hard. And I think we all feel a certain need to mask at some times, but I think that their question is a little, a little bigger and a little deeper and it breaks my heart as a well, parent. But thank you for I mean, I, I love the way you spoke about it, Shannon, and introduced it. And I think, I I think we all mask to some degree or another. And I don't think I think there's multiple sides to this. I want to kind of try to address all of them. 
Um, so, you know, it, it, it would also be a very, a little bit strange if we didn't mask. Like, I just want to go start from that because part of the reason we mask, I, lo I love there's a series of books and it, it talks all about like how we grow, the taming of us as we, as we become adults, right? And if we didn't mask, I'm not sure that we would be following social norms or social rules. I think part of us, uh, you know, not being 100% ourselves is simply that we've had to learn to adhere to what society expects of us, right? So, I mean, I will tell you that I'm like a much more casual and, you know, jovial type of person than I am when I attend board meetings, right? As, a, as an example, every environment teaches us its own rules, right? Like you go to, and, and if you think about it, if you go to a baseball field, you're going to behave very differently than if you go to a library. And that's masking, right? That is controlling some aspects of yourself in order to fit in. Now, for someone who's asking this question and they're very astute and aware and concerned about this, the, I guess, symptoms associated with autism, I don't, I want to try to help you not see it as something that is standing out, but just see it as, you know what, here are a set of rules that have to do with society. And I kind of need to adhere to these rules, focus on the external more than your, the internal. You don't want to focus on how do I change myself? You want to focus on, okay, like, you know, in a work set setting or in a job, you know, interview, um, I have to be polite. So I need to be, uh, you know, address the individual in a manner that it shows that I am polite. I need to be on time. I need to be focused on the person who is talking to me. Um, I can't be distracted at that time. I need to listen and respond. I need to give that person adequate time to say all the things. So I can't interrupt them, for instance. So focus more on just typical behaviors that are expected of us during a job interview um, and less focused on, you know, what if I tap my finger? Don't worry about things like that. As long as you do the traditional kind of appropriate behaviors for a job interview, which I promise you, you can even look up online. Yeah. I think it's always better to focus on that. So it's always better to focus on things to do rather than things not to do, yes. right? So, uh, and that allows you to continue to be yourself, but uh, just behave appropriately in the setting. You know, what's interesting, I think about um, last week was Valentine's Day. And if there was somebody that you cared about, whether it was as a friend or as someone, a romantic partner, you know, one of the things that we learn as we get to know people is what their love language is. Mm -hmm. And that some people, it's, you know, you have a friend that they're about the gift. If you show up to their birthday and you don't have a gift, they're decimated, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. There are other people who could care less. Right. Like my husband has learned that for me on Valentine's day, don't show up with chocolate. I'm allergic to chocolate. Like yeah. that is just a disaster. And, and don't, you know, from, for my husband, I, listen, I love getting flowers. I don't have a thing about flowers, but it's not my love language. You yes. know what I mean? Yes. And, and I love to get them from friends, but not for my husband. It's not like a big romantic thing mm -hmm. for me. There's other stuff. And my husband, my, my son knows, boy, he writes a poem for mom and that's everything. Yeah. That's everything. He doesn't have to spend money on me. If he writes me a poem, I'm over the moon, right? Yeah. And if you think about it, it's kind of the same thing in a job interview that, um, you know, my son doesn't change who he is to give me a gift, but when he gives me the gift, he's thinking about what I, what will make me happy. And in a job interview, if you think about it and think, okay, what are the kinds of things that make these, these people happy? I'm going to dish it up Absolutely. Um, because I want something from them. But, but I, 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 I guess I just really, I hate for people to feel like they can't be themselves. Or I think the phrase here that breaks my heart, I am one, is that you saying that something 
that you don't want people to look at you and tell that something is off. I think that's the part that my heart is breaking over because yeah. there's nothing wrong with you. There's, there's nothing wrong with you at all. You're perfect and you're wonderful, but we all know that there's a hoop of fire that you have to get through to get the interview. And I think you know that, and I think that's what you're asking about. But if we can put it in the in that context of here are the 10 things that they're looking for, and Dr. Grampiche just went through some of them. So I'm going to do those things um, just because that is the context of what we're doing right now. In a job interview, you do these 10 things and then you are successful. Um, just like, you know, when you give someone, you maybe don't like chocolate, like I give people chocolate, but I don't like chocolate, but I know what's going to make them happy. So you serve up the thing that people want, um, to do that, but I'm sending them a hug. And I, and I, I know that there are places all around the country now that are working on just these skills. Our dear departed Joanne Lara used to do uh, with Autism Works, they used to do classes where they would do practice interviews. They would videotape themselves. The whole class would watch it back and give each other pointers and go, oh, did you see where you didn't quite do the thing there? And then and work on it, rehearse it. Yeah, for sure. I'm all about I, rehearsal. Absolutely. And so, you know, one of the uh, things that you learn kind of as a psychologist, just helping people who have that anxiety not necessarily on this spectrum, but just people who have anxiety. What, what you never want to tell the person to uh, just cut their own behaviors or curtail or worry about this, that, or the other thing. You want to kind of get the person more focused on something outside of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think that it is important for you to just be who you are. You don't need to change that. And just focus on those types of things that are expected of everyone in a job interview. And uh, don't worry about anything else because bottom line, you don't want to mask to the point where when you get the job, um, you have to act like someone else. You know, you want to, you want to be able to be yourself. I tell people all the time, the biggest thing about a job is that you should enjoy it. You spend so much time in in the job that it is important that you enjoy it and that you can actually be yourself. Um, But that also doesn't mean, you know, breaking the rules of society. Um, To a large extent, we all kind of have to adhere to those rules. And, you know, fortunately, the rules are changing. Uh, The rules are becoming much more flexible. The rules are becoming much more agreeable to um, to individuals on the spectrum. People are more aware and able to produce environments that are tolerable. Um, so, you know, I think that things are changing in both ways, but I don't want you to worry about who you are. Um, I think that you, you know, in psychology, we refer to this as the state versus the trait. Whatever traits you have, you keep those traits. That's who you are, it doesn't matter. You're in a state where you might need to curtail some behaviors or act a certain way, but it doesn't touch who you really are. I love that. This is one of the many reasons why we love you, Dr. Grampiche. I want to move on to another question that came into us on our live um, on our website. Um, this is a young man who is 20. He does not identify whether he is also on the spectrum, but he says that a special needs person, and he doesn't know what their diagnosis is, uh, has a crush on him at work. He identifies himself as a 20 year old male. And the person who has the crush on him is a 35 year old male. He says, he won't leave me alone. When I started the job back in August, I would push carts in the parking lot. And even then he would stick to me like glue. I now work as a cashier in the store, but he still hangs around me, helping me by bagging people's stuff, even though I didn't ask him to. At first, I didn't mind him and was nice to him, but now he thinks we're best friends and follows me to my car when we're leaving, uh, when I'm leaving. Every time we see each other around, he always says hi, even if we literally just did this 30 seconds before. He always tells me to pull my mask down so he can see my face and asks to hang out outside of work. What really makes me uncomfortable now is that sometimes when saying bye to each other, he says, I love you quietly, but I can still hear him. And he tries to go for physical contact. I even spot him watching me when I'm in my car on my break. I try ignoring him, but I can't really do that when he's breathing down my neck. 
I don't know if I should be direct with him and tell him to leave me alone because I'm not sure if I'll get written up or fired for being mean to mean to him uh, uh, because that has happened here before. Uh, and I don't know the details. I really wish I was never nice to him in the first place because I kind of brought this upon myself. I also don't know what kind of disability he has. And this this just breaks my heart all over the place. Um, I, I so appreciate the fact that this person wrote in and I and I hope that you've got some good information for them. Dr. I do. And I, I, first of all, I just want to say I'm so happy, thankful, Shannon, that we have a place where someone like this could write in yes um, there's a lot i want to tell you um and there's many different sides to this so let's talk about that to begin with i get the impression that you feel you are being harassed um and when you have a fear of being written up or fired for just protecting yourself or defending your own situation or your own existence, your, your area, your territory, your sense of safety, security, that's called harassment. Yeah. I don't want to call it sexual harassment, but it is harassment. And no one should ever be exposed to that. So first of all, uh, you do not want to be in a situation where you fear or you're allowing this person to do things that make you uncomfortable um, because, you know, just because you're afraid that you're going to lose your job. So let's just start right there. Now, of course, so if it was any other person, if it wasn't a person with a disability, I guess you would at this point have talked to HR, which would be the right thing to do, your human resources department. And you would have said, this individual is making me feel very intimidated, afraid, uncomfortable, whatever it is. And you would describe everything that you just told us. And then HR would go and talk to this individual and would tell them they can't do the following things. And then hopefully that would resolve it. And that's how things work at, at, at any job. There's always an HR representative and this is how things are meant to be. Now, you're very compassionate because you feel like, oh, there's something, I should be more careful about this because this is someone with a disability and how do I actually handle it? And that's nice of you and that's very kind of you. And there are two things I want to tell you about that. One is that you still go to HR, you still talk to HR and you tell them the way you feel and you explain to them that you feel uncomfortable and that this, you feel like this person is staring at you, stalking you, following you, telling you on uh, lower volume, I love you, trying to touch you. Uh, these are things that anyone would start to feel uncomfortable about. And if there will, once you've told HR that, they will either know how to deal with it. In other words, you're, it's possible that you come from an HR department, you have an HR department that where they've received some training and they know how to handle this particular disability. Um, and it's possible that they don't, in which case the best scenario is if you and your HR rep together uh, read, learn uh, about how to best manage this type of behavior. Now I'm gonna go back and be on the other side of the individual with disability for a minute. And I wanna say that, for instance, if this individual has autism, okay, they are not going to be able to read what's making you uncomfortable. They're gonna have a very hard time with this, this concept of taking another person's perspective. And they will not be offended if you are direct with them. Now, when you're direct with someone on the spectrum, it's not like you go to them and say, leave me alone. Leave me alone is too broad of a statement. And the person will think like, oh my God, I can't even interact with this person anymore. No, you detail exactly what it is. So this, what you would do, now this is with the blessing of HR, with an HR department that has some education about this, the way that it would be handled 
is they would assign someone to this individual who can guide the individual every day for five minutes in the day, either in the morning or at the end of the day. And they will give them very specific rules. Like for instance, it's not appropriate to ask other people to remove their masks so that you could see their face. That makes people uncomfortable. That's one lesson. And another lesson would be, it's not okay to follow people to their cars because when you do that, people feel afraid. You don't do that anymore, even if you like the person. Another feedback would be, you, it's, it could be intimidating or scary for someone if you say, I love you, and they don't, they're not in a relationship with you. So each of those individual things, or like, you know, you don't go and help this person bag. It's not your job to do that. You go and do your job. And they, talk, they teach the person. So the ideal scenario would be that because you now have assistance from someone in the HR department to help you feel protected. And the individual is actually learning how to be a better employee and how to not make other people uncomfortable because then going forward, they will have the opportunity to actually have a job. And, you know, I hate it, Shannon, when people, everybody avoids the subject because this person is now not learning yes. how to improve their behavior as well. And they might lose a lot of future opportunities because of that. So that's kind of the best way to deal with it. And hopefully you have a good HR department that can manage it. But as far as you're concerned, you definitely need to go talk to HR um, and get their guidance because you are an employee there. And listen, if they fire you or write you up, there's a million other steps you take. But most uh, HR departments will not do that. And they will guide you and hopefully advise you how to handle the situation better. Yeah, I, I so appreciate what you said, Dr. Grampiche, this whole thing about let's avoid the subject, let's not say anything, let's excuse it because the person has a disability. I, I find that never is helpful to anyone. And, uh, you know, not everybody agrees with me, though. I often, when we're not in COVID, go to a, events. And I have many friends who are adult self-advocates on the spectrum and will be in a social situation and something will invariably happen, as it does, no matter if it's all neurotypical people or a nice mix. Um, but what I am, what I love is that the people who are on the spectrum will come up to me and say, uh, this just happened. Did I just say something inappropriate? Whereas people who are neurotypical, it doesn't occur to them, right? Yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't even occur to them. They just go, they just go on with their day. But I love that people who are on the spectrum will, will often, not everybody, um, but they'll say what's what they'll say something's going on. And I don't, I like, I'm not reading the, the room and they'll often ask me cause they know I'll tell them the truth and I'll go, yeah, you know, you could have said this or you could have said that. And maybe let's think about what are they feeling right now because you said this so that they can go and yeah. repair it. And and I forget, though, that people don't always know there's a there's a good friend of mine who not that long ago said something inappropriate on a Facebook post. Mm -hmm. And I responded and said, that's not an appropriate thing to ask. Mm -hmm. um, and then a mom wrote to me and said, I don't know if you're aware of the fact that he's on the spectrum. And, and so then I took the conversation to the side, which is what I should have done to begin with. And I, but I, but the person on the spectrum was like, oh, Shannon, thank you so much. Cause I didn't know that that was an inappropriate question to yeah. ask. Yeah. Right. But the mom was now mom who was not the mom of the person who asked mom of another kid on the spectrum said, Shannon, I don't think you realize that he's on the spectrum. You, you can't tell him something was inappropriate. And I had to go to her on the side and say, no, that is the relationship he and I have. He asks me to, to tell him, but you're right. I probably shouldn't have done it as publicly as I did. But he, he was like, oh, thank you. I didn't know that that was an inappropriate question. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's all something, right? Uh, okay, I got I to gotta move on to a, a poop wiping question because that is the glamour that is this job. <laughs> so uh, somebody wrote in and said, hello, I watch your show every week and I love it. And thank you. We love you too. I know you've previously addressed proper wiping for an eight-year-old, but I have an eighth grader that still does not do it correctly. We have tried many reward systems, but it's just a matter of time before they stop working. He understands how, and when we talk about it, he just says he's being lazy. 
He is in regular ed with friends and after school activities, and I can smell it as soon as he gets home. I'm scared he will be teased and cannot believe he hasn't already. He also struggles with other areas of personal hygiene. It is eighth grade. I'm going to, I'm going to say that, um, teeth and showering. We will go, he will go weeks without brushing his teeth, says it's unnecessary and throws tantrums on shower day. Again, have tried rewarding him after completion. Why are these tasks so difficult for him? Any suggestions would be greatly appreciated. P.S. He has a typically developing younger and uh, has typically developing younger and older brothers that model proper, proper hygiene for him. But how do we make him care? Can I tell you, I used to teach seventh and ninth grade English. And let me tell you, those, <laughs> those, those boys are fragrant. Um, and, and it's, it is a phase, uh, it is a phase, um, but we want to make sure that we get through it with as, as little of problem as possible, but ask any seventh, eighth or ninth grade teacher. And yeah. they will tell you like you, yeah. you, you would like for your nose to take a vacation. Absolutely. And it is tough because, you know, he's, it sounds like he's so high functioning that he's kind of like in the mix. Right. And I hate to say this, but behavior change occurs due to two things. One is positive reward for good behavior, and one is negative consequences for something that's challenging or bad. So, you know, I, he's very, very lucky that he has older and younger brothers who are modeling for him. Um, have you tried to see what happens if one of the brothers says something like, you stink. I wouldn't want to play with you. I know it's a very mean statement, but at the same time, it is the natural consequence. And what you're doing is if you are afraid that he is like not wiping to the point that he smells and you're worried that other kids are about to comment on it, then I would much rather have one of his brothers give him that consequence under which he would then be nurtured to continue to clean himself rather than appear actually making fun of him. Because, you know, as Shannon said, I don't think it's going to happen this year because like eighth grade, I know, and maybe even ninth grade, a lot of the boys are going to be pretty gross. But 10th grade and stuff, because actually what happens, I think, Shannon, is that boys start to develop an interest in girls. Yep. And as soon as that happens, they start to be cleaner and take better care of themselves so you know i think the natural consequence of uh, one of his brothers just kind of messing around with it and they can do it to each other as well and say hey bud did you take a shower just like kind of making it more light as opposed to you know a very uh strict rule that exists that he's going to because, you know, one of the things that Shannon that I found has happened with our very, very higher functioning kids is they kind of get sick and tired of rules and they actually want to go against the rule because they're tired of being told what to do. And they see themselves as higher functioning and therefore not, you know, and all teens obviously are this way as well. So I think things might come across a little bit easier if you have one of the brothers kind of just comment on it and then say, oh yeah, you know, like, or maybe have one brother comment to the other brother, hey dude, you smell. And then the other brother says, oh, ooh, I'm gonna go wipe better or I'm gonna go shower. Some sort of modeling of that behavior might go further. Absolutely. I've got so many questions to pick here, but I, I kind of have to go to this one because it's been eaten at me. Uh, the parent says, I feel so bad about this. Should I though? So my son gets in-home therapy and he actually really loves it. However, a while back, I had to tell the main lady at the office that one woman really wasn't working out. She was a really cool person, but she wasn't actually doing anything with my son, but sitting there and playing on her phone. So I said it wasn't working. No big deal. Now, though, he has three that come over and he loves them and they play with them. And we've seen great st strides in many aspects of his life. Well, 
They just included a fourth person, and to be quite frank, she's rude and disrespectful to my whole household. She's been there several instances over the past two weeks, but the ones that really got to me were, one, first and foremost, the way she talks to my son. She's very rude to him and says insensitive things. She rolls her eyes at him and makes a point to show him that he's irritating her. Just very unprofessional. Not cool at all. Two... She told her boss that my house was dangerous. It's not. Yes, it can be a bit messy, but I also have two other children and I'm in my third trimester of being pregnant. So, duh, there are no dangers at all. Three, she judges my other children and makes statements on their behavior. Like, I would never let my children act like that. Wow. Somebody needs to learn manners. I'm actually very proud of how well my children act. Not taking credit for it. They're just pretty good kids. Kids, it's mentioned on a regular basis when we go out. I mean, one is four, one is eight, and one is nine. They don't act super crazy, but they are kids nonetheless. The first time they were arguing about who was going to be which doll and the other, um, the other time my sister, my old, my oldest wasn't super enthralled with a book I picked up for her. So she was like, oh, thanks. Anyway, uh, I don't want to seem stuck up or anything, but genuinely feel judged by this lady. So I told the office lady again that it wasn't going to work. Didn't mm-hmm. give the examples of instances, but I said, I was sorry. We really want to keep him in therapy. He loves it and needs it. I don't know. I just feel like, how is she, how is she going to help if nobody in my house is cool with her? And I love this question because I think this happens, you know, all the time in homes where parents go, "Mm, this person isn't going to really work out for a reason. They go to the office and they say, so we don't want, we just don't want this person. And they don't give reasons why. And then the next person comes and is twice as bad as the last person. And they go, yeah, we don't want this person either. And you and I both know what happens then. Then the parent gets labeled as somebody who's picky and finicky and doesn't really want their child to do therapy, which is not what we're hearing from this parent. So help us all here, Dr. Grampy. What should a parent be doing when things like this are happening? Yep. And I, I will tell you that even kind of Shannon, when I was running card, I, as, and as CEO, right. You, it doesn't, it doesn't happen very often that you hear about all of these types of things because you're running a big organization. But when I used to hear about these things, I would often get pretty upset on behalf of the parent. Like I feel what happens unfortunately is that there's an operations manager or there's like an office lady, whatever their title is at whatever company. And they are not a clinician usually. So they're not really concerned about, you know, what is the best fit in this household? How do I make life easier for this parent? All of the things that the clinical staff is supposed to actually care about, right? Is that we're here, I mean, every ABA organization says that they're there to make your life easier by helping and teaching your child. So clearly in this case, that's not happening. Clearly in this case, this individual is actually adding stress to your family stress to you, which isn't okay. And you shouldn't feel bad about it. It Even, I mean, you know, sometimes you will have an operations person or an office manager who might actually become vindictive if you go in and complain about a couple of therapists. But here's how I would do it. I would would, um, list all the exact issues, like you just gave us pretty good examples. But like take the time to list some of those issues and say, I don't like how she talks to my other children. Here are three examples. I don't like the way that she judges us. Here are three examples of things she says. I don't like the way she talks to my child. Here are three examples. And take those to the office manager and just say, these are the reasons that I don't think this is going to work. Now, you could also, and this depends on your personality, a lot of times as parents, we kind of want to avoid more uh, confrontation and stuff than we have, like, it's just enough, right? I mean, the world, there's enough on our plates that we don't want to deal with this. 
But some parents will come to the office manager and say, these are some of my issues. I'm happy to work with this person and tell them, don't talk to my child this way. Don't talk to my other kids this way. Don't make me feel judged. I'm happy to do all that. But I want you, office person, to know this is where I'm coming from. And the office person will either tell you, yeah, go right ahead, or no, we're going to actually put this in this individual's file. We're going to teach them. Now, this goes back to the whole concept of how important it is to give other people the opportunity to improve. Like you are actually, by going to the office person, they will potentially either teach this person, they'll write them up, they'll tell them what's right and what's wrong, and they'll teach them. In which case, you've now saved the next family from this type of behavior, or they'll go and reprimand the person and the person will quit. In which case, good, because this type of person shouldn't be in this field anyway. So there's nothing you're doing wrong here. You definitely need to defend yourself and your child. That is the most important thing here, your children. Um, Whoever walks into your home needs to adhere to your rules. Um, And you know what, if the the ABA company doesn't give you therapists and, and they drop you, who cares? There's so many ABA companies nowadays. You cannot have someone in there who's not doing the right thing or is just making you feel bad. Just reading those things, you know, made my blood boil. So you shouldn't yeah. put up with it. Can I say, though, that on the flip side, because I think a lot of times parent, we're so worried about what they think of us. And, and, and she's got three therapists that are great. Yeah. So here's the thing that I always would say to parents is for every time you complain, make sure that you're doing two things to compliment. Yeah. So for the three therapists that are rock stars, what I would be doing is having all of your kids sit down and draw cards and the older kids write a poem or something and you write a really wonderful note and say, I just want, you know, Jacob to know how meaningful he is in our lives and give that to, you know, go in and say, here, here's what we did with these three. Um, you know, cause these are the three therapists that are doing remarkable so that you're constantly also praising exactly. where it's appropriate and not always complaining exactly. um, because, you know, I, you know, Dr. Grampiche, I don't know how much you were aware, but I was a problem parent. Yeah. Uh, you were, you were at the same time loved by so many Shannon. So that's, well, I tried to remember the compliment when appropriate so that when I complained and, and I also would say, what can I do to help? I did this at school school. I got, I got marked right away as the difficult parent. And I said, what can I, how can I volunteer to be on the PTA? Can I, and they said, well, you can run the bake sale. And I said, Hey, I'm happy to run the bake sale. I'm not going to be good at that. Do you have a play you need directed? And they went, oh, as a matter of fact, we do. And then for years, I directed the play. And then I would go in and before rehearsal, and I would say, does anybody need anything copied? I was constantly yeah. sucking up. Because yeah. if you're, if you're going to be a complainer, you got to balance it with other things. And Absolutely. I would write letters of recommendation for teachers that were good. So you know what happened is that people who were doing a good job suddenly wanted to be on my kid's team That's right. because they knew they were going to get letters of recommendation from me. So I say be a squeaky wheel, but also be the person who's buttering everybody's bread as whenever somebody's doing something good, you be the first person to say it out loud and, and draw it on a card and give it to them. Exactly. Uh, Cause heaven knows those people need to be rewarded. If you've got three therapists that are doing a kick butt job, awesome. I, you know, I would be rewarding those three and I'll tell you what will happen. You'll end up getting a fourth therapist who's better, mm-hmm. uh, but don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Don't feel bad all, right. all right. Now we got to move to something that's super not fun. Uh, hello, please. Uh, they, and they want to remain anonymous. We're not, we don't ever say anybody's names. Um, but they're saying that their son is nine years old on the spectrum. And lately he's been acting different sexually. Mm-hmm. He acts out physically, grinding. And at first I thought he was exploring, but now he seems to call names. He says nasty words and he wants me to kiss him or push his head down. I'm not married at this time and no man is coming to my house for him to see this behavior. 
Uh, he visits his dad every single day. And I have asked dad if, if he has anything to say about that. And the dad says that he doesn't see anything like that. I am so confused. Is this normal? Should I be concerned? Oh, God. Um, I, I hate to say this, but yeah, I would be concerned. I am, I, I, I work with some parents who have seen this kind of change in behavior and it inevitably ends up being an adult who is somehow taking advantage of the child um, or the child is seeing an adult take advantage of another child. And sometimes this happens at school. Sometimes it happens at other environments where you are not present. I don't know, and I'm not pointing fingers at anyone, but I do think that it would be important to investigate. Um, how do you investigate? I'm not sure. I mean, at this point, I think you need to uh, get a professional involved, a child psychologist, um, who will then uh, kind of uh, write down all of these issues and will document what is happening and will then be able to pull dad in and either dad will become, uh, you know, your partner in trying to find out what possible environment this could be happening or uh, he will not, in which case he will also be investigated. I think you do need to get a psychologist involved though so that if there is need for a formal report or a police investigation, they can be the one who is reporting because they are a mandated reporter. And so, but yes, to answer your question, when you see with a child uh, changes in their sexual behavior or things like pushing their head down, so on, that is concerning to me. Yeah. I, I want to say to you, because I, I have a friend who's been through this, that um, I, I really want to encourage you to do what Dr. Grampiche has said. But I, what I want you to do first for just one hot minute is, you know, check your house and everything and make sure that your house is all in order. Because as you start to report this and raise flares for people, as Dr. Grampiche said, they're going to start to investigate. And one of the first things that they're want, going to want to do is come over to your house yeah. and make sure that your child is safe in your house. Don't create other problems for yourself. Make sure that your house is in order and, yeah. and don't be afraid of having them come into your house and talk to your child and remind, if anybody gets all weird with you, remind them, I'm the person who asked for this. I'm yes. putting my child's needs first. I want you, you know, to uh, talk to them and, and to do whatever um, but so don't be afraid of them coming investigating you, but I'm just telling you that will like there, someone will come to your house and look, and we want that. We want, yes. we want yes. people to have the child be their client that they're looking to make sure that the child is safe. Right. But don't kid yourself. They're also going to look at you. So just mentally yes. prepare yourself for that. And don't think that that's weird. That means they're doing their jobs. Um, Actually, yeah. now that you bring that up, Shannon, um, another be thing that you should do before anything else is videotape number, you know, as many of these behaviors as you possibly can. Record him doing these things more than once and um, so that you have the documentation. There you go. Um, but please get your child help. Um, there are, you know, Listen, I, I don't know where where exactly you start looking, but, um, you know, there, there are laws in place that say that things like you can't send a tape recorder to school, you can't do all kinds of things. And, and of course, we would never tell you here to do anything that is illegal. But I will tell you that I've seen a lot of parents who feel that for the safety of their child, by accident, drop a tape recorder into the child's pocket that runs all day long and that they check it when they come home and they're willing to get fined or whatever um, when when they come forward with evidence that was obtained illegally to save their child. I, yeah. I would not encourage you to do that, but just putting it out there that some people do. Uh, okay, let's talk, let's shift to something that's uh, different here, but also concerning. Good morning. My almost 11 year old has high functioning ASD. One of our biggest challenges is his false exaggerated memories of events. 
They're always negative, never, never positive. For example, we will bring him to basketball, which he loves, and he's always excited to go. And he will report how awful practice was and how much he hates it and how we make him do things he hates. But then two days later, he's back to being excited to go to practice and runs inside. He does this for most activities. If we try to challenge his memories with facts from the coaches and teachers, he says that we or they are lying. It's like he enjoys being miserable and feeling put upon. This has been going on for as long as I can remember. We are very relaxed and never make him do things. If he's anxious about a game, we and the coach tell him it's okay to sit out. But he will go and complain after that we want him to be a professional athlete and get very uh, angry and upset with us. What can we do to help him remember events actually and, um, and also under accurately and understand that he's under no pressure from us to participate in anxiety-provoking events? Seems more than black and white thinking, like his memories are distorted and he doesn't hear us when we tell him it's okay to not go to games. Thank you so very much. I love the show and I always learn something to help my son. That's so nice. I I don't, it's, I, I always love uh, reading these questions, Shannon, because it just, it's such a sample of how we perceive things differently and how we see the things differently. Like, just listening to that, I see that the parent is thinking that they, the child actually is not remembering positive experiences. And honestly, I wouldn't have thought about it that way. To me, it's more like he might have gotten used to the attention and interaction that he gets from saying negative things about an activity, not that he, not, not that it was actually negative. Like, I don't know that he actually has a bad time because if he did have a bad time, I would think he probably won't want to go back, but it sounds like he wants to go back. He just enjoys the bickering about it afterwards, which is, I think is the portion we need to deal with. And don't we all have a friend on Facebook that this is true for? <laughs> that we go, they go to the grocery store and you could go to the grocery store with them and it's a pleasant experience, but they come home and they Facebook about the one thing that went wrong on it. And then 12 people come on and comment and say, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. And they exactly. get all this attention from it. Exactly. Yeah. So I think the best way to deal with this is to actually not interact. And I'm guessing that what happens is he'll say something like negative about basketball practice. And then you as parents are trying to convince him that that didn't actually happen or that you're trying to remind him of all the positive stuff. So there's that period of being engaged with him uh, during this process where he's just complaining. Do not engage with him. Let him complain. Don't engage with him at all. And, and Oh, and it, do the reverse. So whenever he or anyone else says something positive about an experience, then engage, right? And you can model this for him. In other words, he's talking about basketball, he's saying something bad, and you and dad are, or you and the other parents are in the car. And one of you says, hey, wasn't it great that blah, blah, blah happened at basketball? And then you guys talk about it. So he will gradually start to realize that only positive comments will result in ongoing attention. Negative comments are not going to get attention, especially because you guys are there and you know, you know that nothing negative is actually happening. He just likes the complaint about it later, right? And you can also teach him, by the way, to, to you know, on other subjects, not just activities, but things that he likes, objects. If he says a nice thing about it, then heavily give him attention, engage with it. And gradually you will start to teach him that positive comments get a lot of attention. Negative comments don't get that much attention. And, and that's kind of, I think, the way to turn this around. I would be very interested to hear more because there is this whole other side of teaching our kids to deal with scenarios that provoke anxiety. But for, this just doesn't sound like that to me because he keeps going back to it. I love it. 
I love it. And so do us a favor, try this out and then write us back and let us know if you see a change. Uh, I so appreciate that. And we still didn't get through all the questions and we're still out of time, but I want to thank Dr. Grampy for being here. I want you guys to know that we'll be back live next week and we'll be back live tomorrow as well. But don't forget that you can always write it, <coughs> excuse me, your questions to Dr. Grampy on TikTok. She's answering questions right now on TikTok. You just send your question in and that's a really fun way to connect with her. Please also see some of the other questions that she's answered on TikTok because maybe she's already answered a question that's very similar to yours. And we love it when you give her hearts and things on TikTok. You know what that does? It lets, it not only reinforces Dr. Grampyshan, we have to remember to do that, right? She deserves that. But it also, you know, puts it in a, in a, into a category where more people get exposed to it. And so you're helping other people to find the information that they were looking for that they may not even know they're looking for. So please check her out on TikTok. And thank you so much, Dr. Grampuchet. This time thank is just so valuable. Thank I just you so much. enjoy hearing your answers to these things. Uh, but as I said, we'll be back tomorrow for another live show. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. Bye, everyone.